Hello mamas and welcome to episode 7 of Bumped Mum. I'm your host Emma and this week I'm super excited to be bringing you an episode with Rebecca from Nourish Feeding Therapy. Rebecca is an occupational therapist and feeding specialist and she supports children and families that are experiencing feeding challenges. We cover a lot in this hour and I honestly learned so much. Um, We talk feeding from six months and up, so starting with introducing baby's first foods, then moving through to toddlerhood and up from there so we look at mealtime behaviors increasing variety and range of foods what flags might be that indicate it's more than just fussy eating Um, we also talk through the sort of seating that your child should have and the guidance around how we should be talking to our children about food how we should present food um, and how we really should kind of take their lead in terms of their hunger cues what they feel like Um, I felt so much more prepared for just food with Louis in general after this conversation. So I hope you feel the same way. Um, I think this conversation answers a lot of questions, but also made me think about so many more. So there may be a part two coming. And if you do have questions, please send them through to me because I think Rebecca and I will be kind of having another chat sooner than later. Um, But as always, I'm not the expert here. Rebecca is. I hope you love this as much as I did. Um, Like I say, mind was blown in an hour. So yeah, enjoy. This is a really good one. Hi, Rebecca. How are you going? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's Friday. It's sunny. Um, Looking forward to a weekend. We're about to you in the country. I am calling in from Christchurch, which is unfortunately today not so sunny, but has been. (laughs) Yeah, you guys have had weeks of like 30 degrees in sun, haven't you? (laughs) Oh, we've been pretty lucky, yeah. (laughs) Pretty lucky, yeah. Almost Um, too hot though, so not to complain. Yeah. Too hot. (laughs) I can understand that. So, hey, I would love you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your work as well. Cool, thank you. Um, So my name is Rebecca Barnard. I am an occupational therapist, a feeding specialist and the director of Nourish Feeding Therapy. So Nourish Feeding Therapy is a private practice service that I started here in Christchurch, but we kind of see families all over the country. Um, And we support children experiencing a range of feeding challenges from the complex medical um, tube fed children to children with food anxiety, with sensory challenges, right to the fussy eating and starting solids. So we kind of cover all of, I guess, childhood um, eating challenges. So it's pretty uh, in-depth and, and comprehensive, um, which is which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I started that here because there wasn't um, or there, there weren't, there aren't any services for children who are struggling with food and having any kind of food challenges so there was a real need um that we had to that we had to fill um yeah (laughs) wow already in my brain I'm like oh so many questions (laughs) (laughs) so what's your kind of background and education to lead into the space of work yeah, so I started off working in Australia. Um, so mm. did my um, occupational therapy studies and then went to Australia because, you know, if you want to work with kids, you've got to get experience somehow. But mm. <laughs> Australia seemed to be the only place to do that. So started mm. off in general pediatrics in Australia. And then I remember having one client in particular who his only goal was feeding. He was mm. eight years old and had four foods. And I was like, 
how did we get here? Like, what do I do? How can I facilitate and help this? So I kind of started going down a rabbit hole of trying to find out how to help um, and then found myself working in a private practice feeding clinic over there. So, yeah, doing the intensive feeding therapy over there. And then, yeah, like I said, after a few years of that, when it was time to move home, I thought, well, I still want to do this work, but where am I supposed to do it? So hence my my I call it my baby was born (laughs) yeah oh my goodness and just like there's so many things that I guess that you don't turn your mind to until you're kind of faced with them as well so what would be some of the common feeding challenges that you do see day to day in your practice yeah well it's so interesting that that you say that because a lot of the times I'm obviously teaching children how to eat and Mm. talking about how we eat and that whole process and parents are like I've never once thought about how we eat. Like I've never mm-hmm. once stopped and gone, oh, I didn't realize that I moved food here and I did this and I did that. And I'm yeah. like, well, no, that's my my job is to <laughs> to know how we how we eat. Um, yes. which which is quite cool. Um, but I guess I I like to start by saying, and not to scare people, but just to kind of bring awareness to the complexities of of eating and why children mm-hmm. might be having the range of um, challenges is that eating is the most complex task that we'll ever do. So it's the only task that involves every single body structure and function to need to be working in perfect harmony, which is crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. But it kind of means that if there's one or more part of that process that, you know, is painful or uncomfortable or the child isn't enjoying they're probably mm. not going to enjoy eating and not enjoy the process. So mm. I guess we, yeah, so we see lots of challenges, you know, from prior or early medical um, complications that, you know, even down to ear infections, throat infections, constipation, reflux, like anything like that that has led them to go, oh, every time I ate, there was this really uncomfortable feeling. Um, and so, what we see in, in our work is that then leads to food anxiety, so real fear and worry around trying any new foods, um, lots mm. of sensory challenges, so struggling with complex textures, mixed textures, lumpy foods, that kind of that kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah, it, it can get quite complex, but, yeah, I guess we see sensory challenges, anxiety challenges, food refusal, mealtime behaviours, yeah that kind of list (laughs) yeah yeah oh and i i'm just like now you've said that and i'm like i've never thought about (laughs) how i eat or how food or how i approach it just becomes so set like it's just a natural thing you do but obviously when you're learning to do it and something's not feeling right that i can Mm. imagine that will become really hard and then you've got all this information up there being like you need to be eating these food groups oh. and healthy and not healthy. And then it's just like, oh, my God, overload. Yeah. Absolutely, so, which I actually think is more unhelpful that there's all that hmm. pressure that is put on parents to be like, make sure you're getting this food and this food group and this and this and this. And it's like, oh, my gosh, eating is hard enough. Can't we just <laughs> focus on the eating rather than yeah. Yeah, all the extra complex pieces? So I'd love you then for, you know, to, to help us. What is the current research showing and what is the guidance when we are talking to our children about food um, and how we introduce and I guess just generally talk about it? Because I, I know there's like there is some general guidance around what we should be doing now. 
Mm-hmm. There is general guidance, but even in the research, it can mm-hmm. be a bit sort of up in the air, I suppose. Um, I guess the main piece of research that we as a practice follow um, yeah. is what we call a responsive feeding approach. And basically it's, I feel like it's kind of undoing all of our um the way we were brought up around food it's kind of undoing all of our relationships with food but i think it's a really helpful and healthy thing to do so it's mm. basically basically a responsive feeding approach is saying that we listen to the child we respect their needs we you know develop independence and instead of i know for a lot of my meals growing up it was you stay at the table until everything on your plate is finished and you don't mm. leave until everything on your plate is finished. Um, yeah. And now, yeah. yeah and, <laughs> and now what it's saying is actually let's listen to our hunger cues. And when our body is saying, I've had enough, let's actually acknowledge that and say, you don't have to finish everything on your plate. You're allowed to eat until your tummy is full and happy. And obviously, I guess if we think going down to adulthood, a lot of us don't know how to stop eating because we were told to finish everything on our plate because we never, yeah. our hunger cues were always suppressed by having to finish everything on our plate. So, yeah, we like to follow a responsive feeding approach because there's a, a good volume of research to say that our responsive feeding approach is quite um, effective and it's something we can start right from when we start solids, essentially. And I'm probably jumping ahead now because I wanted to go through a few things first. But now that it's just I'm thinking about this, because I'm thinking, oh, my mum tells me stories of when I was a child and I would honestly sit at the dinner table, refuse to eat my dinner. It would go cold. They would say, you need to finish, eat your food before you get down. Um, and I just would sit there and sit there and sit there and basically then have like Cry tantrum. This is probably sounding like I'm one of these babies with eating challenges. Um, and then, though, eventually they'd say, "Right, okay, like let's just can it, get mm. you know, get ready for bed." But I'd ask, start asking for dessert and saying, "I'm mm. hungry. I want dessert." So I'm jumping ahead totally because we've got so much to go through first. But like, what sort of response would you advise in that situation? I'm thinking mm, like, yeah. prior for my mum. 20 something years ago yeah definitely um I mean it's it's a tough one because essentially it's a I don't like the word behavior but it's a response to something about the food or something about the environment that food is Mm. is had um so my my first instinct is to when we see that popping up because that still still happens now um when we see that popping up going okay what what is it in this situation that is making food hard or like why why are we really struggling with food today? Are mm. we just a really overtired, overstimulated and our body is spending too much time trying to regulate that it can't actually focus on food? Is mm. it not that the parents are bad cooks? Never say the parents are bad cooks. But <laughs> is, it, is it something about the food and t- from a sensory or oral motor point of view? Like are we mm. not able to manage that food? Is it from a sensory point just too overwhelming for our body? So it obviously sends us into a, a meltdown spiral path. Um, so my first place would be what is 
what is it about the food or the environment that is difficult um, and complex? Because it's it's never just a behaviour in the sense of mm. they're trying to get attention or, you know, I'm using quotation marks, behavioural <laughs> around around food. There's usually yeah. an underlying, yeah, reason for yeah. that. So I'd, yeah, so I'd kind of be trying to identify what it is that is making food difficult and see if you can adjust and change some things around that um but i guess obviously we still see the no i refuse to have dinner i'll only have dessert kind of um approach which is also also quite common um but again coming back to what is it about dinner that is difficult can we even combine the meals and have you know things together um do we do more of a um a family style serving so that it's a um, serve yourself from the middle of the table so you get to choose what's going on your plate rather than this is what's on your plate eat it kind of approach to give yeah to give the child a sense of control because you know they all want to need control we all want to need control so if we can provide that in a structured environment that's a really helpful tool as well um yeah if that answers that question yeah, absolutely. I'm just, you know what, and it's funny because even as an adult, I always need something sweet after dinner, and I don't know if that's just like me from like little, just always needing something sweet, or if I'm just like sweet. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I'm the same, but I think it's probably because there was always dinner and then dessert, and there was always yeah. something afterwards, and it kind of just programmed our body to want something sweet afterwards. Yeah, yeah. except now yeah. I'm good and I eat my dinner. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just need to get the, get the stomach acids flowing and get the the invitation to eat happening. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I've got so many questions just pinging into my brain, but let's start at the at the beginning. So your baby's mm-hmm. hitting the, you know, showing those signs, which I'd also love you to talk through as well, um, mm-hmm. that they're ready to start solids. Um, mm-hmm. So, what are we doing? What are those signs that they're ready? <laughs> and <laughs> What, how do we start? Where do we go? Baby led mm. weaning, mm. you know, purees. Mm. I'd love you to talk us through that. <laughs> I'm also super interested because Louis is now six months and I'm like, as I said to you before we started this call, had so much excitement about it because I'm a foodie and I love food and it's just been a bit of a letdown in the first few weeks, I would say. Yeah. Lots of cleaning and that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, it's uh, oh, I feel like I could talk about this topic for so long, so I'll try and condense my brain um, because it's so obviously such a big topic. But there's also so much information out there, right? Like there's half the half the parties are saying purees, and half the parties saying baby led, and there's just it's so confusing. And, and then so- they're saying mix them together, and then I'm like, oh my god, I'm just gonna be cooking all this food that's <laughs> not even gonna get eaten, and like, what's the actual point? I know. <laughs> totally. So I'll I'll talk through I guess some of the research behind that. But where when to start? So like what signs to look for? Basically, I mean there's not sort of a I guess you have to wait until this point. The recommendations say obviously between four and six months of age. Mm-hmm. Um I would definitely want to make sure that um baby has some kind of uh, ability to sit unassisted. We don't need to sit unassisted for like a long time but pretty much what we want to see is that we have some trunk control 
some neck control and some head control because if we don't have if we don't have that we're going to spend too much time keeping our body upright not being able to eat because we're just our sole purpose is to keep our body in an upright position um so if we've got some kind of unassisted sitting not for a long time um if they're i guess showing like more physical signs like when you're eating are they tracking the food are they watching your mouth while you're eating are they starting to reach and grab and kind of show interest in like oh i would really love for that to be near me kind of um signs really Mm. is what you're wanting to to look for um i do want to highlight just because i think it's a really important point to make if you have a child that was born before 37 weeks um Mm. so what's which is classed as premature um the advice and research is saying to wait until six months regardless just because we're you know kind of catching up on development um in, in that sense they say four to six months. When it comes to do you do puree, do you do baby lead, do you, do you do a bit of both? If you get to four months and baby is starting to show some signs, some unassisted sitting, starting some reaching, some grabbing, you are welcome to start, but I would only start with purees. Okay. And that's baby lead weaning. Pretty much you have to be six months of age to start because it requires more, like, essentially more parts of the body need to be more developed to manage those more complex foods. So you're welcome to start before six months if you're showing those signs, but I would only start with purees. And then mm-hmm. once, you, once you get to six months, then you can start with baby lead weaning. Okay. Baby lead weaning is <laughs> obviously it's, I feel like it's had a bit more hype recently mm. maybe but more um, <laughs> yeah possibly I'm, I was trying to think why that is but Instagram is probably the reason why um yes yeah, so there's a lot more light has come to it and I think it's because it follows that responsive feeding approach that the research is showing showing us so it obviously you know supports their self-feeding their they get to control the pace and the flow and the speed and they get to be in control of that process um oh. So I guess whether you do purees, baby lead, from my point of view and what I've seen in the research and what I can yeah, what I can see is that actually a mixed approach is best. And I know you said, I'm gonna spend all day cooking. cooking. I mean, yes, we can get strategic with that, but yeah, the the research and advice is saying a bit of both. And okay. when we can when we can do it's basically called a bliss approach, which I think is quite cute. Um, a bliss approach to feeding has been shown to like decrease food fussiness, but making sure you're getting mm. all the nutrients, support the self feeding, follow the responsive um, feeding approach, have more family meal times. Like it just there's a bit more research behind a combination approach um, to starting solids. So you're welcome to do obviously your own research and find out. Yeah. Yeah. What sits and best so, with you? Yeah. So what would be some good foods to start with then? Um, mm. I guess, and, mm. and you mentioned there's some ways to be strategic around the cooking. So what would you suggest? Mm-mm. So essentially, I guess if we're, if we think of the baby led weaning side of it, mm. um, it's essentially soft cooked whole foods so your, your veggies your kumaras pumpkins broccolis bananas avocados like 
food in its whole form so that mm. the idea is that baby gets to experience and appreciate the whole the you know the actual what the food actually tastes like before we process it and you know do all the things that our food society has lovingly done for us um mm. by adding all the extra things um so i would start with those foods in its whole form and basically yes it'll be food prep to get that all ready um but those can then easily turn into purees so you're soft cooking the food anyways that's easy enough to then continue mashing or blend it up or do something to get it into Mm. a puree add some you know lentils or some beans or spinach or chickens or whatever it is you're adding to the puree piece um, to get the iron and the supplements that we need. But then you've Mm. also got the baby lead piece where, you know, if you picture like a, I guess like a finger size, like an adult finger sized soft cooked piece of um, vegetable that baby Mm -hmm. can then manage. And then you've got some of the extra coming in through the purees. um, If that kind of, kind of makes sense um no that's a really good idea actually and it's like you say you're actually only cooking once you're just getting more out of what you're doing because they don't eat much either at this point I think I mentioned to you I think 99% of it is over Louis's body at the moment with maybe 1% (laughs) going down so like yeah why not just do tiny amounts let him play with it um yeah yeah absolutely and that's actually really important to like let Mm. them get really messy and play with their food because I mean I see it all the time now with the kids who who can't be messy they're like I I can't tolerate any mess on my body um Mm. and yes it might be an underlying sensory challenge but sometimes it was mum couldn't tolerate mess and would often (laughs) wipe clean them up you know three seconds after they got messy so now they're going well I, I can't be messy I don't I don't do mess I don't that's not part of my body (laughs) so yeah yeah Yeah. so encouraging that mess is is really important um I guess one thing and you might ask me soon but I just wanted to touch on allergy foods Mm. as well because I think that can bring a lot of fear to some parents around um allergy foods so you're welcome to start allergy foods from six months um Mm. what I would recommend is starting with one food one allergy food at a time so that obviously we can track if there's any responses, we know which food that's come from. Um, mm-hmm. Start with one allergy food at a time. Have it for, you know, four or five days in a row because then you'll be able to tell if there's any new eczema or new skin rashes or something different that has popped up. Um, yeah. yeah, it's pretty much the advice on that. Just one at a time and do it for a couple of days so that you can see if there's any any um, responses that come up, essentially. What's the non-allergen foods then? Are you okay to mix those together from the get-go? Mm-hmm. Like if you're making a puree, you can mix pumpkin and carrot or whatever yep. like that. That doesn't need to be individual? No, not if it's not um, one of the allergy foods. No, uh, okay. no, they, they can all be mixed. Yeah. Awesome. And then, I've again, here we go with Instagram. Um, <laughs> I've seen that people have said you can actually give a baby like um, in line with this baby lead weaning like a bit of – a cooked bone, you know, like if it's been in a roast chicken and it's had everything pulled off it to kind of hold and suck. What's your thoughts there? Um, not sure. <laughs> not sure if I love the idea of a bone as such. Yeah. Um, but I think what they might be getting at is using what we call hard munchable 
food. So a hard munchable mm. food is a food that you, without teeth, you can't bite through. So like, you know, a raw uh, carrot, like a raw carrot, for example, or like, yeah, something that you have to like really bite mm. to get off. Um, basically, yeah, you can you can introduce those foods for the purpose of mouthing basically to get the flavor and the texture or not so much the texture, more so the flavor of those foods, but they're not going to be able to bite off a piece of those food. Cause obviously baby can't manage a raw carrot at six months yeah. old, but you know, for the purpose of getting the, te- getting the flavor happening and the mouthing piece. Mm. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about the bones. I think that's mm. maybe a, personal <laughs> preference but um uh, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah I think the idea is hard munchable food so having those foods that they can mouth on but they're not going to be able to bite off um but also yeah. not not a you know super essential thing like if you yeah can't get to that place it's not yeah there's no research that says that oh you never you never did hard munchable so you can't yeah. manage these foods like it's not yeah it's probably a, a phase that I wouldn't, yeah, non-essential rather. Because I think as well where some maybe a little bit of fear comes with the baby lead weaning and giving them big pieces of, well, not big pieces, but finger-sized pieces of food, even though it's cooked, is the choking piece, you know? Yeah, like, so totally. what? how do we be careful there but still mm-hmm. allow the baby to kind of have control and explore that food? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... There's a few, I guess, ways that you can try, like, as the parent to see if the food's going to be safe. Um, Mm. Basically, one is called a squish test. So if you can easily squish that food between your fingers, like your cooked kubata, like, when you squish it, it's really, Mm. like, it breaks apart. Um, But if you try and squish a raw carrot, it doesn't break apart. Um, So as long as it's a food that you can easily squish and, like, you've cooked it enough so that, it can be squished between your fingers. Um, baby will be able to to manage that, um, okay. essentially. So, yeah, I guess just making sure everything's cooked. Um, you're not giving raw foods early mm-hmm. on, not until we've properly developed our oral motor skills. Um, but, yeah, kind of just that, that squish test. A bit like, can, I, can I squish this food? Then it's going to be okay, and they're going to be able to manage it because, you know, even if for whatever reason it does get stuck, it's going to like not be blocking an airway because it's going to dissolve essentially. It's going to go down regardless. So yeah, yeah. This, this push test is kind of the good one. Um, I guess probably on that, when we're thinking of why it can be scary to start, mm-hmm. um, it's, like the, it's like the gagging piece because a lot of the times we'll like, you know, we'll see baby gag on a food and we immediately go, oh my gosh, get this food away from them. We need to, you know, danger. Yeah. <laughs> like, they can't be eating this food. Um, gagging is normal. Gagging is basically um, a protective mechanism for the airway. So, like, when you gag on something or, like, cough, to br- it's bringing that food forward out of the airway. So bringing it to the front of your mouth rather than it's sitting dangerously at the back and it hasn't been properly chewed and swallowed um, kind of piece. So gagging is okay. Gagging is, like, in that sense is okay. If we're if they're gagging on like lumps, like in terms of if you did a puree and you started to grade it up to lumps, and they were kind of mm. it seemed more like what we call a sensory gag, um, then 
potentially we might need some more support around that. But I guess just the plain gagging versus choking, the gagging is is okay. We don't need to intervene, on, obviously, unless it's the choking and they go completely silent or any of those kind of signs. Okay, that's good to know. And I yeah. mentioned to you before we started recording, I was like, I feel like, and I've mentioned it again, like there's mm-hmm. just, you know, we've started our solids journey with Louis. We've probably been doing it for about a week, just giving him little tastes of things and mm-hmm. um, doing a mixture of purees and the baby lead. But nothing, like he just kind of seems to spit everything out. Is there, like how long normally do you need to kind of keep going with this mm-hmm. before they actually start to, to eat some of it and get more yeah. into it. I had these ideas of Louis's face lighting up when he tried this <laughs> for the first time and it's just not the case. He kind of pokes his tongue out and <laughs> not loving it, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's fairly common as well for, you know, they've all they've ever known has been milk, be, be it yeah. breast milk or formula or whatever capacity, it's it's only been milk. And now we're starting to change up, have this whole new texture and flavour and whole new thing that they have to try and manage. Um, mm. So it can take a bit of time for almost like, it's almost like the shock factor. It kind of takes a bit of time for that to, to wind down and go, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing. I've seen mum eat it. This is how she chews it. This is what I need to do with that food um as long as they're happy in the high chair and playing and you know having a positive experience in the high chair or feeding chair is more important than the food at this at this point in time um because obviously if you start your feeding journey with a negative association with the high chair the rest of it's going to be really hard and really just a bit of a slog so you just want them to be happy and comfortable in the chair and if that means playing with a spoon playing with food just being comfortable and the odd thing goes in the mouth that's Mm -hmm. that's cool that's cool too um you'll start to have um obviously more some family meals together so that he can see you eating because again like i said for us it's an automatic oh i just bite this food and chew it and swallow it and happy days um but we have to learn how to eat like it's it's not something that's automatic when we're first learning like we have to watch other people do it we have to practice it we have to Mm. practice it again we have to fail we have to practice it like it takes time um so a helpful thing is yeah to obviously eat with them so that he can see how you're eating where you're putting food how you're moving it and you'll be seeing that he'll be watching you chew like he'll be, yeah. he'll be watching the whole time while he's while he's eating because we have to learn somehow so um yeah I would keep going with those foods and even if there's a food where you're you've offered it and he's kind of been like oh what I did not enjoy that don't mm. go oh well didn't like banana never trying that again <laughs> like <laughs> like you kind of need to keep offering it like sure okay. give it a break for a day but keep offering it because otherwise you're going to get to four and he's going to be like, I don't like banana why don't know yeah. it's just like, you know yeah so that's so um, true and it's like yeah. at this point they don't know the difference between a banana and a pumpkin you know like it's all no, no. the same so don't avoid anything just keep encouraging yeah. them to try mm-hmm. stuff I think that's mm-hmm. a very good piece of advice so mm-hmm. we've started with the purees the baby led weaning you know, baby starts getting older and they're eating more. Mm-hmm. 
where do we go to from here in terms of, I guess, you know, the babe, they're probably a little bit more aware. Mm-hmm. Um, you step up from a puree and it's a little bit chunkier and they're probably having more meals and less milk. Mm-hmm. I'd love you to talk through this next stage with us, which is probably where we start to see some of these behaviours come through and a little bit more of the fussy eating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I could talk about this for, for yeah. so long. And I, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working on some resources for this exact thing, kind of when we get to that toddler stage of like explaining why that happens, like mm-hmm. talking through the whole brain development and everything that happens during that stage. Um, but yeah, essentially pretty much before 12 months, maybe before sort of 18 months, um, if baby is struggling with food in that time frame, like from six mm. months to 18 months, um, I would be seeking some further support okay. kind of so- sooner rather than later. Because um, if you're already seeing lots of food refusal and lots of like gagging or sensory responses or vomiting or some kind of food behavior that you're like, mm, this is not, not right. Because essentially under 18 months of age, it might look behavioural, but it's it can never be behavioural in the sense of that part of the brain hasn't developed. So if there's ah. a feeding challenge, yeah, if there's a feeding challenge under that 18-month time frame, I would be seeking support ASAP because okay. they're, trying to, they're trying to tell us something. They're trying to say something is not feeling right, something is not working, food does not feel comfortable under that sort of 18-month time frame. If it's you kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that's an important, important, very uh, important. Like I would have, like, I had no idea about that. Is that what you term a pediatric feeding challenge? I think I've heard yes. you use that term. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So pretty much a pediatric feeding disorder. I mean, yes, sometimes it can start later, but more often than not, it sometimes starts from birth, from breastfeeding mm-hmm. challenges. Um, but yeah, often it starts between that six month to 18 month time frame um, where, where a lot of professionals and GPs are like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it really needs further investigation because there's something in their body or in their feeding skill that is, yeah, not, not working how it should be. And it's making food really hard. So under that 18 month time frame is, is I guess an important point to, to note. Um, mm. If you then get, what we call, you know, terrible twos, the two-year-old, kind of three-year-old, and you're starting to see um, the fussy eaters, fussy eating kind of come out in this stage. Um, again, I've dedicated a whole course to that because it's, it's so, so complex. Um, yeah. But there's so much that happens in the brain development during this time. Like they actually learn fear. Like that's a an emotion that comes to light is fear. So. Oh. Yeah, like I get scared of the dark. I'm scared of monsters. Mm. I'm scared of everything. And I'm certainly scared of food because, you know, that's the thing that happens multiple times a day. And I'm just, what even is this? So they might be a really good eater to start and then all of a sudden have these these challenges a bit later on. So there's a, a lot happening in the brain development. But I think as a general consensus, the main thing that happens is it's the first time that they learn they are a separate person from you for so long they were yeah for so long they were completely dependent on you for their survival their food source their meeting their needs like they were they were you 
for 12 months, 18 months. Yeah. And now, yeah, and now, oh, my goodness, I've got my own arms, my own legs, my own personality, my own, yeah. I, am, I am my own person. So a lot of the times we see the quote mark fussy eating coming out here because all of a sudden mm. I have control and when mum and dad are saying, let's sit down and have our broccoli in peace, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's when what you start the green thing. Exactly. You go, you've got the, the fear part of the brain going, oh, my gosh, green is poison, this is not safe, and then you've got the control part going, you can't tell me what to do. Like, you can't you can't tell me to eat these foods. This is not okay. Um, yeah. So it gets quite complex. <laughs> um, and, and I guess that's just an important point point to be like that might be why it's happening so when I briefly touched on before saying having food you know sort of a family style where everyone gets to choose what goes onto their plate rather than food just being on their plate um that's one of the simplest ways that we can provide control like you know create control in a safe manner so you as the parent are still in charge in the terms of you're deciding what's on offer you're deciding what the food is um, but they're deciding what goes onto their plate how much they eat like they're actually in charge of their body um yeah if that makes sense it's it's quite complex (laughs) yeah so in the scenario that you did like the family style and Mm -hmm. they only put meat on their plate and they put no vegetables Mm -hmm. or you know carbohydrate Mm -hmm. or anything as an adult, you know, you need all these vitamins and minerals from different <laughs> things. How do you kind mm. of encourage them to try these different things without mm. labeling things bad and good? And mm-hmm. I guess that's where mm. we need to check on ourselves as well. But um, <laughs> totally, how do you yeah. go about that and encouraging them to eat a, you know, a variety of fruit and vegetables and, you know, mm. everything? Mm. Mm. So, I mean, Again, when I was saying sort of at the solids time that the most important thing is that there, it's a positive experience mm. in the chair. Kind of the same principle here. It needs to be a positive experience at the table because as soon as it right. becomes either negative or there's some association or some pressure, that's when you're going to see less foods being eaten. So if you've just got meat, amazing. You know, like that's mm. there as long as they're, enjoying being as a family sitting at the table like they're enjoying that process um Mm. that long term is is more important um from like a yeah the whole yeah labeling foods and food restricting and yeah so on that's the most important piece for that um Mm. also then i guess once you've kind of gone okay as long as they're happy at the table, cool. The next piece is then you can, you know, educate in certain ways and say why these foods are really good for our body and get them out if you've got a garden or a farmer's market or even the supermarket to just say, talk about what these foods are, where they come from. And when you're in that kind of brain development of like two to five years, um, yeah. they don't care They don't care about the nutrition. They could yeah. not not care less if you say you need to eat this broccoli because it has abc good for our bones good for our muscles they don't care (laughs) they just there's there's no part of their brain that goes oh my gosh amazing i need to eat this food 
what's important at this age is color, taste. Do I actually like this food? Is mm. more important. Is more important than you know. Oh yeah, this food is has got ABC vitamins and <laughs> does this for our body. <laughs> it's it's at that age. It's color, taste. Do I like it? That's the pure. You know, the, their decision making is based on that. So I would use language like talking about. You know, I'd be like, oh, let's get this cumin. Shall we get the purple one or the white one? The purple one oh, is going to be yeah. a little bit sweeter, and I know you really like sweet food, so maybe we should go for that one because it's a bit sweeter. And then we oh, could get yeah. the pumpkin because it's also a little bit sweeter, and you can kind of talk about what it's going to taste like rather than we need to eat this vegetable kind of thing. So. Yes, there's a bit of, I guess, a bit of groundwork in the, um, in that sense of talking rather more about the sensory properties and what it tastes like rather than, yeah, the nutrition piece because that that can come later. That yeah can come later. What I'm more concerned about is do we have a positive relationship with food from an early mm. age? And you know, yes, we can eat those foods, but not in a pressured environment. It's kind of, yeah, the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so interesting as well. And it's mm. kind of like just the way that you approach it in terms of how you talk to them about food mm. rather than, you know, like, and so, again, that behavior has got to come from you. And then I guess as well you need to demonstrate yourself eating all these different mm. colorful <laughs> foods. You know. What about hiding food like hiding vegetables in like a pasta sauce and stuff is that something that's yeah. all good to do or should we encourage them to like see the food and it's true form yeah I get this question so often like <laughs> so so often like can I just sneak it in I, yeah. I have a, I have a pros and cons answer okay. I have a pros in the sense of obviously nutrition if we're not mm-hmm. able to get it in other ways it's a beautiful way to get nutrition and vegetables into food um cons is that there's the uh the thought that we might lose trust with food and the person who prepares food um so if you know if you're doing it for so long and then a couple years down the track they go oh my gosh you've been putting all of this in my food for so long what else have you been putting in my food you know like there's there's an element of trust that if we're already struggling with food i don't ever want to jeopardize or yeah make that worse um there's there's an element of that for sure um again what I would I guess a kind of nice middle ground is to get them involved in the process and say Mm. I've got I've got a family who love talking about um like sauce and colors so like would Mm. you like red sauce would you like a green sauce a white sauce and you know, I'd encourage to say, oh, should we have an orange sauce today, which is tomato based, but we add kumara, pumpkin and coconut cream and it's going to make it orange. And they mm-hmm. can be like, oh, you know, do you want to come and choose the pumpkin for our orange sauce? And kind of talking about it in that way um, mm-hmm. gets them involved. So they know there's going to be pumpkin in there. They know they're involved in the process, but it's an orange sauce. So you haven't exactly hid anything from them. Um, yeah. Is kind of my middle ground, <laughs> happy happy way of of doing that. So, short answer, yes, but long answer with them involved is my okay. yeah, is the preferred. That make that makes a lot of sense actually, because yeah, <laughs> you true. could you could literally just 
kind of disguise things, couldn't you? But it <laughs> probably could potentially be a long-term yeah. consequence of that. So then yeah. if we kind of go from there, obviously if you do the family-style eating or if you serve them a plate of food and they eat the broccoli mm. and you're like, awesome, they've eaten broccoli. How mm. should you respond to that when we're kind of, I guess, to them food is all food mm. Mm. and we don't want to, like, be, again, saying, oh, that's, mm. you know, good, you ate that. Oh, oh that's mm. bad, you've only eaten this, you know. Like, how do we, mm. what language should we be using or should we just mm. ignore it and just let them pretty, be? Pretty much, pretty much. Oh, okay. I would, yeah, pretty much ignoring it. I say, um, I say to parents all the time, have a little party on the inside celebrate as much as you can on the inside and after when they're not there Um, but on the outside you are poker face or not poker face but you're just not commenting on it because again if you're like oh my goodness you ate a piece of broccoli and it might be the first time they've ever eaten broccoli you ate a piece of broccoli that is so amazing they're going to be like what is the big deal like why are you why are you acting this way this is weird I'm not doing that again (laughs) like you made such a big deal of it the first time I'm not I'm going to avoid anything to try and get that response again. Um, So, yeah, as neutral as you can because, exactly, food should be neutral. Food should just be food. It shouldn't be, oh, my God, I'm so pleased you ate the broccoli over the biscuit. That's, oh, that's amazing. It's like, oh, okay, you ate the biscuit and then you ate the broccoli. Cool. You know, like as as cool, calm and collected as you can, but have your party on the inside. Totally. All four parties on the inside. Yeah. So we're we're trying to just keep food very neutral. We're yeah. very kind of unfazed. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's so interesting. Because mm-hmm. and I don't even know why I keep using broccoli as an example. Because there's so <laughs> many good foods out there that don't just happen to be a green tree, you know. But oh, that's just an example. It's the one we always go to as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like you see, like a brussel sprout, which you know. Yeah. Oh. Um. What? So then. What if I've, I did see something and it was like, oh, these these plates that you buy now for baby and they're divided and you put this in this part, this in this part. And mm. the, do you encourage mixing those foods together or keeping them separate or what would you say there? Um, I would say it's ideal to have foods mixed together. Um, okay. That's kind of – and it still works with the family style serving because obviously mm. you – you know, you might serve it up individually, but it's going to be on the same plate and all mixed in together in the same plate. So that's, yeah, it works well with that with that approach. Um, but the, the divided plates are really good for children with autism or children with sensory challenges who their foods can't touch. And it's just, mm. it's just a thing that they, they just won't eat if their food's touching. So there's a place for divided plates. And I guess we use them quite a bit in our work, given the population that we um, mm. support but yeah as a as a general goal is to try and have it all together if you if you can so mixed foods would be would be best but okay. we appreciate that there's sometimes that it just yeah doesn't 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 work and doesn't get there mm. Yeah. Mm. okay so we've kind of, I feel like I've learned so much already my brain's like <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to digest it all because there's still lots of questions coming up but yeah. so say you've got your you, you've got a kid that's over 18 months now and mm. they just continually are choosing to not eat or only mm. eat crackers um mm. 
is that yeah. a, is that a point where you need to get help or is that just purely yeah. being fussy and is there another way to kind of tackle yeah. that challenge yeah totally um i guess there's there's certainly a fine line between fussy and you know more than fussy or mm. a potential underlying um diagnosis or need that needs professional support um i guess there's yeah there's a there's a fine line some kind of rough i guess not guidelines but things that i recommend if you're kind of going oh is it is it more than that or is it not more than that is do you have less than 20 safe foods and that's being you what there's no other foods like there's there's no flexibility there's no i'll suddenly just eat this food like less than 20 foods um if you've only got that then it's yeah probably more than the the fussy eating piece um if it's impacting your a your family meal times as in you can't sit together they need devices the meals are like lasting an hour or they're the opposite lasting two minutes um if there's disruption to the family meal times or your ability to go out and socialize go to birthday parties and go to restaurants and and yeah go out to eat if it's mm. impacting those areas then i think professional support is is needed because there's certainly something underlying that um and i guess if there's also just a generalized fear or anxiety around food like it's there's big meltdowns or big behaviors for any interest in trying new foods um mm. to us that's certainly a flag that there's um yeah something else underlying it um i have actually a little um, like questionnaire on my website which is quite helpful for parents for that to kind of go mm. you know is it are you concerned is it more than just fussy eating or is it just fussy eating and you'll kind of it'll just be a phase um there's mm. also I guess I guess on the fussy eating piece um it shouldn't really be lasting more than three months so when we go through when children go through this phase of of Again, the quote mark, fussy eating. Um, yeah, it should be short-term. It shouldn't be a long-term thing. Like you shouldn't be, oh, well, we're two years into our three months and we're still at less than 20 foods and we're still needing iPads for meals and mm-hmm. we still can't go to birthday parties. That's when it's more than fussy eating. Um, so, yeah, as a general sense, less than three months, just fussy eating, more than three months, and those other challenges probably worth um seeking out a feeding therapist or some additional support okay yeah that that's a good one so yeah like there's so much going on for them right and like you've already highlighted they're learning so much and then you know sometimes food is just probably not going to be their priority or it's just Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. they haven't got the capacity to you know so Mm -hmm. we've got to appreciate that they're not going to eat the -hmm. same the whole time and like even as adults we go through phases in the Mm -hmm. way we eat so we can't Mm -hmm. expect different from them what um, if you're kind of you're, you're having dinner you're sitting around and they just won't eat and you're like well you we don't want you to go to bed hungry because then you're gonna not sleep well um <laughs> and not you know that's going to affect the whole family as well so what would you do in that situation if they just won't eat dinner or they just won't eat breakfast and you're like you need to eat to set yourself up for the day or the night Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's a few pieces to that. If it's happening consistently, as mm. in weeks or months that this is happening, um, I would 
it probably just seek support because it's okay. yeah there's clearly something underlying that that we need to address um but mm. if it's kind of you know a bit more spontaneous or every now and then this is happening my general um sense is to follow kind of that approach that we were talking about before the responsive feeding approach that you as the caregiver are in charge of what is on offer when it's mm-hmm. had and where it's had so you've said 5 30 at the table we're having nachos like deconstructed mm-hmm. nachos you've done your job as the caregiver you know that there's a food on there that they can have or will have you've set the time you've set the place you've kind of set the scene that's then your job done which is really hard to do to just mm-hmm. let that be your yeah. job um but like I say, as long as there's a food there that you know that they can and will have, you've done your job. It's then up mm. to the child to to choose what they eat, how much they eat, if they eat at all. Um, and I know it can sound a little bit harsh, but it's actually the responsive feeding approach being, actually, if your tummy's saying you're not hungry, you might not be hungry. And, you know, yeah. the next day... Yeah, the next day often you see, oh, they've come down with a tummy bug. Hmm, I wonder if that's maybe why oh, we didn't so want to eat or something. Yeah. 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 And then I guess as well, like even if like just reflecting on that, there's some, you know, days or nights and you're just like gets to dinner time and you're like, Oh, I'm so tired. All I want to do yeah. is like just eat some toast or yes. eat some toast. Like, I don't want to eat a full meal. I'm just tired. No. Not no. that you're not hungry, but you just actually don't have the yeah capacity to a be bothered to cook or mm-hmm. b and like i guess a little kid can't you know a kid can't be like oh let's just get takeaways like as the <laughs> as the caregiver we might be like oh, maybe not yeah <laughs> i know yeah totally so there's there's a few factors in that but like i say if it's ongoing then we need to look into it but if it's sort of every now and then then i tend to follow those yeah that approach There's one, there's something that you mentioned before and it made me think of this. You mentioned obviously some of the, you know, if babies or kids or toddlers are having issues with like constipation and it's maybe Mm. because they're not getting enough fibre in their diet Mm -hmm. because they're they're just continually not like choosing to eat foods that aren't going to support them having like healthy digestive health. What can you do there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's certainly a, a, a fine line and a fine balance yeah. of, of what came first, the constipation or the, the diet kind yeah. of. Right. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> often it can be, oh, actually, no, we've been constipated since we've been three months old and, you know, that's yeah. what's contributed to the, the feeding challenge or, yeah, our diet hasn't been great for a, a while and that's cause the, mm. the constipation um i guess these things like there are a lot of foods that have i guess what we call like hidden fibers or hidden hydration so obviously focusing on water because that's a really good constipation mover um if you can get like smoothies um you might be able to add some kiwi crush or kiwi fruit to the smoothies which are really good for constipation and digestion even for adults they're kiwi crushes probably every person that Uh i know i was smashing kiwi fruit and kiwi crush when i was pregnant yeah Yeah, totally like you you need your kiwi fruit like there's actually research that says just two kiwi fruit a day will basically sort your constipation out wow Um, yeah but if you can't do that a kiwi crush is also a a good option um yeah so seeing if you can focus on 
yeah, foods with hidden fiber. There's lots of like food, like um, even there's bread. I can't actually think of the um, brands of the breads, but there's breads and like some crackers that have fiber in them and cereals that are fortified with with fiber and iron and other um, supplements. So see if you can focus on those kind of foods um, to get the constipation going. Obviously, if the constipation is really ongoing, you might need some medication to yeah. help assist because um, obviously the bowel can change and, and sometimes just actually needs even if you can increase the fiber in your diet, sometimes the bowel still just gets a bit lazy and needs some um, additional support, essentially. So, yeah, it's a little bit of the what came first, but doing what you can to focus on those, um, I guess, yeah, hidden but not hidden fibers and hydration. Oh, I'm just, yeah, there's <laughs> just so much to everything, isn't there? It's never just as simple as it seems. And I think um, I'm so grateful for you sharing all this information. If anything, I've got more questions that just keep (sighs) popping up. So we'll probably have to do a part two at some point. Um, But I would love you to kind of like wrap up what we've kind of spoken about today and what would be your, your top tips for someone who's about to start their feeding journey with their baby or, you know, just kind of, way through and it's not going well what would be some you'd hope like just every parent needs yeah. to know these key little nuggets of gold <laughs> yeah yeah my people probably get sick of me saying it because I say it all the time and everywhere um is seating I forever mm. go on about seating Basically, I I picture it to, um, you know, when you go to the pub and you sit on like those bar stools and they're Mm. really high and there's no, like it's just a stool. There's no back support. There's often no foot support and you're just like dangling there. And then you end up hunched over and you're trying to eat the steak, right? Like you're trying to cut with a knife and fork into the steak and Mm. your feet are dangling, you're hunched over and it's really hard. Like it's really hard to cut into that food and to actually eat and safely manage that food. Um, Mm. That's basically what children are feeling if they aren't supported in their seating. So we notice it as as adults because our feet are always on the floor, but kids, they can't touch the floor yet. And we need that foot support. My two ones are foot support and back support, even even at the starting solids age. Um, okay. Foot support and back support because, like I said, one of the signs of starting solids is do we have some unassisted sitting control? Because if I'm too focused on keeping my body upright or engaging my core for the duration of a meal, that's going to be my focus rather than consuming food and actually using my jaw which is going to be locked if I don't have oral motor sk- um, if I don't have foot support. Mm. Like I need the foot support to be able to manage those foods. So that's the one thing that I encourage everyone to just check with their current seating is do you have back support? Do you have foot support? Ideally investing in a chair that can grow with the child because, you know, we need foot support for a few years to come. Um, mm. So investing in, in a chair that can give you that both that back and foot support um, is like my number one. If you can change anything, change that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So number it's one. it's one of those things that you know when you look at everything you need to buy <laughs> for babies and toddlers as they go uh-huh. on. That is uh-huh. money that you need to invest, right? Get a decent yes. high chair or yeah. Okay. Yep. 
Yeah, I mean, the warehouse also have some. Okay. <laughs> they have some as well. So it's it, yes, it's an investment, but there's also ways you can Facebook Marketplace or or trade me it. But um, yes, it is it is 100% worth the investment because otherwise they're going to be sitting on a bar stool trying to eat their food for a while, and it's going to be hard. And that, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I've literally walked into places and if I see that's the only seat, I'll actually just leave because I'd rather sit comfortably to enjoy my meal because it's not the same. No, no, like you don't want to be trying to socialise and, you know, be attentive with your friends or whoever you're sitting with and trying to eat. Like it's it's, it's hard. It's really hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, mm. it still is. You have literally just blown my mind in an hour. Like I'm just thinking about how I need to go to, like moving forward. You've kind of given me some, inspired me with introducing Louis to Solids. We're going to try some new things. Yeah. Um, and I've also just needed to, you know, realize that I'm going to have to change the way that I speak about food and like how mm. I was brought up with food when we're, you know kind of going down our feeding journey because it is probably from a lot of us just so different like I came from the mentality of like you got given dinner and you ate everything on your plate mm-hmm. which is not the case now which mm-hmm. I so understand why um yeah. but yeah, yeah. wow that it's, it's complex <laughs> it's really but complex people, yeah it is if people are wanting support from you what would be the best way um that they can get in contact with you yeah um I mean a lot of these the time these days it's social media platforms so you can either either um through social media on nourish.therapy or at my website nourishtherapy.co.nz is probably the the easiest way because you'll find the the questionnaire there and can kind of rule out if it's if it's right for you um I also like to note that if there's um, a child with an additional diagnosis, like a, an autism or a genetic or developmental diagnosis, there's different funding streams that they can access. Um, okay. And we, we tend to get quite creative with, with funding streams because I yeah like being private but don't like people to pay for it. So we get a bit creative. So I'd recommend just reaching out even if it's you're kind of not sure but you really need some support and there's often something mm. we can do we can do to to help but yeah either my website or social media is usually the um the place to start but we might need to do a part two of this emma <laughs> oh i'm literally i think we will um <laughs> i will tag your um social account and website in the show notes so that people can find you and reach out we will cool. absolutely have to do a part two this has been so informative and I'm actually just loving it because like I said I'm a bit of a foodie and this has seemed like a really overwhelming Mm. thing to start doing but now I'm kind of feeling a little bit more like I've got a grip on things um so hopefully we'll do a part two I'll update you on how amazing it's going or not not. for people listening (laughs) yeah Either way, if it's working or not, either way, we can work through it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Oh, thank you so much, Rebecca. I've actually just really enjoyed this chat. I've learned so much. I know there will be so many other parents out there that will learn a lot from this too. And like I said, we will chat soon. We'll do part two. (laughs) Awesome. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.